possible with you. We praise you for that. Now, Lord, I pray as we turn our attention towards your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your word, would you change our lives now? We submit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. I'm very excited about this series. Three weeks, I wish it was ten weeks, but uh, we're going to go three weeks uh, on a series called Everybody. And I, I like the way that Ty made the graphic for this series because there's everybody and we think about everybody, but then there's every body, every individual, every person. And we're going to be talking about what that's like to live in community and, and to, to grow in that way as as everybody, as everybody is a part of everybody. And, uh, you know, over here we have some, some, some cogs that are all connected together and, and you know, the, the watch thing and, you know, one's connected to the other and they are all important. And without one, eventually what happens is you have one that doesn't spin or one that doesn't do its work. And, and if you are only one by itself and you're just on a shaft and there's nothing attached to you, what's going to happen? You're just going to kind of spin aimlessly and, and you're not going to do anything. And so we're going to be talking about that. Before I do that, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go online, northhillsbaptist.net, and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, last week was a challenge to make a commitment uh, to, make, to set a goal for the year 2015 of reading your Bible every day. And uh, there, there is, uh, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, I think, uh, I think, I believe that reading our Bibles is the one that informs all of the others. It's, it's the one that starts us off. It's the one that, that teaches us about God and, and, and leads us to worship. It, it's the one that draws us into prayer and, and seeking forgiveness of others or, or, or seeking repentance and those things. And so I just want to encourage all of us, remind us, maybe for the first time, challenge you right here in this few seconds. Uh, to consider uh, reading your Bible every day. We, there's just three things last week, three R's. Read, reflect, and respond. And, uh, and again, uh, listen to that message if you would. Now, I have some information here this morning, something that maybe you never knew about churches before, and that's this. Did you know that churches leak? Churches leak. Um, you know, and, and here's the areas we leak in. We leak things. We, we leak in the amount of time that we give towards serving. We leak, like we talked about last week, in the amount of time that we read our Bibles. We, we leak uh, the desire to work at evangelism. We, uh, we leak outreach. We leak community. We leak relationships. Uh, think about that. Somebody said to me after first service, I have a new concept now. I didn't realize that churches leaked. We do. All of our relationships do. And, and think about that. Over a period of time in life, with the busyness of life and all of the activity and everything in our schedules, it seems like those things that are really important to us, that we say are really important to us, oftentimes we spend less time and less time and less time doing them. You know, we, we sort of get in a rut or we become apathetic about something. You know, and, and that happens all the time this time of year. We make New Year's resolutions, 
right? We set these goals. And what happens? They leak. After a period of time, it's not fresh, it's not new, it becomes sort of, um, you know, a, a, a matter of discipline, and unless we have other people that are doing that along with us, um, it can just kind of fall by the wayside, never to be picked up again until the next year. And we go, oh, man, I haven't read my Bible in 11 and a half months. You know, I mean, honestly, there, there are things that can happen that way. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, over the next year. The year of 2015, I want this to an, an underarching sort of current in all that we do at North Hills. It's, it's going to be building lives and building community. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it constantly. We're going to be engaging in, in events and activities that, that seek to, to encourage us to intentionally take steps towards building lives and building community. Because what happens naturally in families, in churches, even in marriages, um, we leak those things. And, and we want to plug some of those holes. Some of the reason we leak is because we get busy. And we, we forget that the best things in life are not things. Um, that, that, that could be uh, you know, trying to make enough money to buy a brand new car or something, or um, you know, just really working hard at that. Or if you're in high school, it could be you know, something like a, an, an FFA or an FTCLA or an FBLA, and, and you, get, you get in so many of those things and you're doing so much that you hardly have time to breathe in life. And, and what always seems to go first? <laughs> those things that we say with our mouth are the most important to us. And, and what I want to happen is over the course of the next year for those things that we say are most important to us to actually be most important to us. Now, as we do those activities and we get involved in those things and for, you know, there's 4-H and FBLA and FCCLA and then there's things of prestige and getting ahead at work. There's the tyranny of our schedules, which can include work and recreation. Um, before long, what happens, even, and this may even include our immediate family, we, we, we become an island unto ourselves. And, and we don't see anybody else around us. We don't think about anybody else. We don't, we, we don't pray for anybody else. It's, it's only, we're only concerned about us. And, and, and we become this island. Instead of being a part of a functioning body or machine, we're just out there kind of spinning our wheels. And, and I want to challenge you in that area. Uh, Susie Becker conducts creative writing seminars all over the country. And one of the exercises that uh, involves asking her students to write creative answers to some of the world's most demanding problems. Um, in fact, she compiles them in a book she calls The All Better Book. Uh, and just a, a note of, uh, of information, her students are all second and third graders. And so she asks them um, these questions, and she states that she was astounded at what she calls their undaunted wisdom. Um, I'm just going to give a couple of the questions to you here this morning that we have time for. One of the questions she asked was, how would you create a no-fail diet? Now, this time of year, that's important. You know, people have, have uh, resolved that they're going to lose weight in 2015. How would you create a no-fail diet? Well, Patrick, age 8, says this. Use exercise shoes, he says. When you get tired and want to go to sleep, too bad. These shoes will make you run until your feet fall off. We need exercise shoes. Um, and then she asked this question. This is the one we're going to focus on today. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Max, age nine, says this. Make food that talks to you when you eat. 
it could say, how are you doing? And what happened to you today? Um, uh, Kalani, age eight, said, people should find lonely people and ask them their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign the lonely and not lonely people together in the newspaper. Genius, right? And then finally, Brian, age eight, says this. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. So maybe that's an option for you when you feel lonely. You could sing a song, stomp your feet, or read a book. Well, it's this last one that we're going to focus on today because I believe that everybody wants to be somebody but often feels like a nobody. It happens. It happens in life. Um, Augustine says this. Uh, He says that human beings are created with a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that only can be filled by God. Um, Jesus uses different words to say the same thing one day when a self-proclaimed expert on human satisfaction comes up and asks him, uh, what, what is the key to a no-holes-barred, joy-packed, eternally sustainable life? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, look, I'm going to make this very simple. Um, his, his, his statement is in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And in verse 31, he finishes it by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love God and love people. Very simple. And we're all here this morning because we really have two vacuums in our life. We have two really deep longings. The, the first one is a longing for deep spiritual connectedness that can only be filled by God. And the second is a longing for deep relational connectedness that can only be filled by other people. You know, we see this with the very first human being ever that ever walked on the planet, Adam. When God created uh, all things and began to put everything in its place, his remark at the end of each creational act was what? It is good. Okay? It is good. Uh when God created the sun and the moon and the Milky Way, he said, man, that, that is good. And he created the ponderosa pines and sweet corn and Yellowstone Lake and mule deer that I hear are yummy to eat. God created those things and what did he say? He said, wow, that's good. That's good. Then he created Adam and put him in his perfect environment and he told him, have at it. It's all yours. Go and enjoy it. Uh, Work it and enjoy this perfect environment. And as we're reading, we're prepared to hear God say, it is good, but he doesn't. In fact, God says, "Uh, wait, wait, it's it's not good. Uh, It's not good. Something is missing. So he creates Eve. And someone said that Adam wasn't complete without Eve, and then when she came along, he was finished. Now, I don't know exactly what is meant by that, but um, before Adam and Eve, okay, creation was good. But once humans walked on the creational landscape, it's at that moment, it's at that moment in time when, when God declares it very good. Now, our English translations really actually, honestly, do a not very good job of of describing what the Hebrew really means there 
in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Um, in Hebrew, this phrase literally, literally, literally means, Hey, you guys! Hey, everybody! This is amazing! This is incredible! See this! Come look at this! I mean, can you imagine God at the end of creation? His voice booming after he just spoke everything into existence. Hey, everybody, look at this! And, and then, and then the, uh, the Hebrew word for very actually means exceedingly mega beyond your wildest dreams. God says, once man and woman are on the planet, he says, it is that good. It is that good. God says, now it is complete. Humans have a God-shaped vacuum to be filled by God and a people-shaped vacuum to be filled by people. And we simply state it here, love God and love people. And when we do these two things, nobody is a nobody. Everybody is a somebody. Because we're in relationship with God and with other people. How we were created to be. But we don't always do so well, do we? I mean, we, we all know about this relationship vacuum, and we all know that, that we don't often do so well and that relationships can leak away. We feel it. It's called loneliness. Uh, Mother Teresa said that the greatest disease isn't cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, or of being deserted and alone. Now, wouldn't it be great if we all had what I like to call a relational connectedness dipstick? You know, we all know what this is, right? Well, <laughs> if you own a car, hopefully you know what this is and you've used it before. Because if you don't, there will come a day when you have a pretty rude awakening, when your engine responds negatively to not having any oil in it. But if we had a relational connectedness dipstick, you know, we could, you know, every once in a while we could pull it out and we could take a look at it and we could see, oh, it's my relational, I'm full, full. I have all of the relationships that, that I really need to not feel alone in this world. Um, from, from deep, deep, you know, the two or three that, that, that you really have that you could trust anybody with to even those uh, kind of acquaintances around you that, that, that help get you through the day. And then maybe, the, and, and maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you have all of the, the uh, relational connectedness that you need. Great, that's, that's wonderful. But maybe you're here today and, and you would pull this dipstick out and you would notice that it's down there just past that sort of uh, you know, hex area and there's some words on there. And those words say, add a friend or two. Right? Um, there are some areas in your life where, where you know, you wake up one day and you feel alone in this area. It, it, it could be something that you're struggling with in your life or whatever. Or, or maybe you're that person here this morning and you, you pull out your relational connected dipstick and, and you look at it and, you know, the bottom kind of sort of looks a little bit wet, right? And so you wipe it off and you stick it back in and you pull it back out. And when you pull it back out, it's dry. And there isn't anything showing on there. And, 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 and it, it shows that you're, not, that you're not connected to anyone. And if you continue to live your life that way, just like an engine, there will come a time when pistons and metal scrapes against metal and your life could lock up at any time. So, 
maybe you're sitting there going, well, I don't even really know what my relational connectedness is because it's obvious I don't have a dipstick anywhere and I can't check it. So how, how do we know? Well, here's how you can answer this question. Okay? Ask yourself this. If I was diagnosed with a serious life-threatening illness besides my family, who would I pick up and call on the phone and tell them? And, and I think that if there are people that come to your mind, those are the people that you are probably firmly relationally connected with. If you can't think of anyone else, then you're, you're not connected. Your, your relational dipstick is dry at the bottom. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about what can be done about this. I, I had somebody this morning, uh, actually it was yesterday, I was talking to him, and they, uh, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, I, I'm not even sure that... He said, I think there's two or three people that I would probably call before I even called my family. You know, we, we have some of those friends that are deep, deep, powerful, strong relationships. Now, I want to ask you a, another personal question. Uh, because this question has everything to do with what we're talking about in this series, and it also has everything to do with what the purpose of our church is and what we believe God is doing right now, right here in southeastern Wyoming, okay? Um, how many, here's the question, how many of your closest friends are a part of this church? How many of your closest friends are attenders or members of North Hills Baptist Church? Now, if you're new around here, this is your first time you've come here in a, in a long time, I'll give you a pass on this question because, you know, it takes a long time. It really does to, de- to develop those kinds of friendships. But, but how many of your closest friends are a part of this church? And, and here, uh, hear me out. Here's why this question is so important. Jesus said that the quality of our relationships at church as the body of Christ is how people know if what we believe about Him is authentic. In fact, it's the criterion by which non-church people judge whether or not our faith is real or not. Have you ever heard someone say about, um, about you or about people at another church, for instance, man, if they can't even get along, how could I even think of? Or, or is, is God even real if... They're acting like that. Now, I get it that we're all imperfect and that sort of stuff happens. I mean, you know, if you think you found the perfect church, right, as soon as you walk in the door, it ain't perfect anymore. I mean, that's true about each and every one of us. Um, but, but here's the thing. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse, verse 23, May they, he's talking about church people, he's talking about Christians, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All men will know that you believe in me if you love one another one another. Now, any of us can say that we love God, right? Uh, We can say that we love God, and and, uh, no one can say to you, if you say that, no, you don't. Because generally speaking, um, our love for God is, is, is an invisible thing. But none of us can say that we love people without there being some tangible, visible actions of us loving 
people. It's on this tangible, visible evidence that people judge the integrity of our love for God. And it's how we tell if we genuinely love God as well. And, and I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not just, just creating these things. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, it says this, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. He has given us this command, it goes on, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The command we have from God is to the point. Loving God includes loving people. And we have to love both. Um, deep inside, we believe that life genuinely is better, I think, if we can figure out a way to do it together. But getting together, being together in authentic, transforming, life-changing ways isn't always easy, is it? Um, we don't just drift into these kinds of relationships. You don't, you don't go into relationships like that just by coming to church. You know, it doesn't happen. It, it doesn't happen by osmosis. You know, I think in high school, I used to think if I would lay my head down on my social studies book at night, that somehow during the middle of the night, that stuff would just come into my head, right? By osmosis. Never worked. The lowest grade I ever got in my high school career was in social studies. Um, it's the same thing with relationships. You know, just, just coming to church doesn't automatically mean you're going to have a bunch of friends and a bunch of relationships. Um, it takes intentional action on our part. And uh, when we do have those kinds of relationships, over time, what happens? They leak. They leak. The Europeans who came to settle North America found it vast and unexplored. And if you remember the movie, I think it was Far and Away or something like that. It's an old one. Um, there's a, a scene where they have all these settlers, new settlers. They're all lined up on their horses. And, and their goal is to go out across the land and find a, a quarter section of land and pull up the stake with a flag on it. And then that's their property. They claim it. And, and when, the, when the Europeans moved west, that's, that's what happened. And, and people had never owned land before. This was a, a, a whole new deal to them. And what they did originally in the beginning when they got their piece of land is they built their house right in the middle of it so that they could see all of their land that they owned. And what happened over a period of time, um, because these people were proud of their, and what it was the watchword of the day was their self-reliance, they started doing funny things because they were lonely. They were isolated from everybody else around them. I mean, I, many of you have heard this before. I have first-hand experience with what it's like to be isolated. You know, three days in a cabin with no TV or internet or phone. That's as isolated as it gets in our day and age today. The goal was four days. I made it two and a half. Because and, and when I came out of there, when I was in the pickup going home, I have never felt so lonely in my life. It was, it was oppressive. And, and that's not fun. It's not fun to be alone. I heard a football commentator a couple of days say something. Oh, no, it was, it was uh, one of the announcers of the Rose Bowl parade. They're like, um, they were talking about the crowd and they were like how nobody was alone in the crowd. And I'm like, that is so not true. You can be lonely in a crowd. So what did these people do eventually that moved out west? They moved. 
they moved their houses to a corner of their section, of their quarter section, and the other people did too, to where they had four houses nearby. And what did they do? They shared life. They shared death. They shared food. They shared work. And they made it. And they made it. Well, how they eventually lived was very similar to what we see in the early church in the book of Acts, isn't it? Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, and I apologize this morning for putting all of these up here and just moving through, but, but I have a lot I want to say, and, and uh, just bear with me, please. And this, the, this one up here is from, from the message translation. This is how uh, Eugene Peterson translates Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. See, the Acts Church is light years away from that self-reliant European attitude, isn't it? But maybe you sitting here this morning feel light years away from, from the Acts Church as well. Well, in order to get from self-reliance or loneliness to the picture in Acts, we're going to need to make at least three moves. And these are in your notes, these three moves. The first move is this. Everybody get close. Everybody get close. Okay, the Jerusalem church in Acts got close. And we see it over and over and over, especially in their homes. Acts chapter 5, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. They never stopped learning and spending time together. Acts 12, 12, he, Peter, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where many people had gathered and were praying. Acts sixteen fifteen, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Acts 28.30 For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. See, in the book of Acts, the, the word house or home is used 41 times. Their house and their home was a very important part of their life and we get the idea that these people were together a lot. They were, they were getting to know each other, uh, just being around each other, engaging in small talk. I remember reading one time that that in order to get to know people, we need to become experts in small talk. Okay, and here's why. Because because if you don't become an expert or are able to engage in small talk, you'll never get to the big talk. It just won't happen. So so we need to engage in that small talk. And it isn't easy or even comfortable for many of us. Um, it's just easier to stay in our own comfort zones. It's, it's easier to choose isolation over community. Sometimes we think that it's safer. Now, I get it that there are people that are extreme introverts. In fact, I know several people who come to church here who, who, think, this, that, who think North Hills is a really, really big church. They don't like big crowds, but, but, but they love it here anyway. They, they push through that, that introvert. And, and I know all of the places in this room where people sit to stay isolated. And I know how fast they get out that back door when the church service is over. Okay? I, I understand that. I understand there are people that are introverts and this is difficult, more difficult for some people than others. But, but we need to recognize and realize that unless we intentionally 
take some risks. We're going to be that cog over there. And, and there are going to be more times of loneliness than not. It, and I know it seems kind of elementary, but if North Hills is going to be a healthy, functioning, thriving church in our community, our first move has got to be to get together. You know, and, and, and what are some of the opportunities around here that we have? Well, there's always a coffee machine back there, and it's always on, and almost always, 95% of the time, it has coffee in it. Okay? There are those times when it runs out between services. It takes four days to thaw it out and, and reload the machine. So, you know, unless we're, we know it's going to go out, we're not ready. Um, grab a cup of coffee. Come early. There's a novel idea. Come to church early. You know, 15 minutes. For you guys here at second service, come 15 minutes early and catch the people that are leaving first service and, and say hi to them. I mean, there are some, and I've talked to them, they're like, man, I wonder if so-and-so still goes to church here. Right? I mean, have you thought that? Well, sometimes, sometimes it's true. Sometimes they're, they're not. But more often than not, they're probably at first service. And you're just not seeing them. And what would it hurt to give them a call and say, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a long time. Have that conversation. Hey, miss you. Hey, um, you know, come early for second service and catch the people leaving first service. And say hi. Hey, great to see you. Or, you know, stay after. 10 or 15. Grab a cup of coffee. Maybe you don't drink coffee. That's okay. Grab a cup. Fill it with hot water. Okay? Just carry it around with you. Okay? And find somebody else who has a cup and, and, and ask them their name and, and ask them, you know, why they come here and, and about their family and those sorts of things. You know, hide behind your cup a little bit and, and have that conversation. Um, we've got discovery classes coming up here in a month, um, which, which teaches about the church and, and, and ourselves. And, and then there's always new people that come and you can meet new people there. Small groups, a, a small group Bible study um, is a great way to get connected with people. Um, I, I, I would be as bold to say that there are, I think there are people in our small group Bible study who feel more connected today than they did a year and a half ago because they have spent time and, and over the last year meeting together. Um, there's going to be a couple opportunities. On, uh, on January 25th, we're going, to, uh, we're going to study the book of Colossians for six weeks. Maybe if you've been in a Bible study before and you haven't seen those people, give them a call and, hey, hey, the church is going to go through Colossians. Let's do it together as a Bible study and let's get together and, you know, you could just take the sermon notes from, from Sunday morning and use that as your study guide and just, just talk about it together. Um, in, on March 1st, we're going to do, begin a series called This I Believe and we're going to challenge everyone at that time to get into a small group. We're going to push a little bit harder and we're, and we're actually, as, as staff, we're going we're gonna to put sign-up sheets and, and, and help you um, be a part of a small group. Um, getting closer to other people is a move, really, that everybody can do. Uh, the second move is for everybody to get real. Everybody to get real. A little bit harder, a little bit more risky. Uh, but all of us, you know, and here's the thing, all of us have a secret that we like to keep, don't we? Um, we don't want anyone to know this about us. Uh, I have a secret, you have a secret, but, but here's the thing, I know what your secret is. I know exactly what your secret is. I know what the secret is to, of the person that's sitting next to you. And here's 
I'm going to tell you what their secret is, okay? And after I tell you what the secret is of the person next to you, I want you to turn to them and I want you to say the same thing, okay? Here's the secret. They are weird. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, dude, you're weird. Okay. Here's the thing, right? We all look normal. We all look normal on the outside. And, and that's what we try to portray to everyone around us. We're normal, okay? But, but let's be honest, all right? We all have personality quirks and, and, and character quirks and things that we like to do differently here that, that people that another person is going to think is just really strange. If I asked every husband and wife in this room if there was something that their spouse did that they thought was a little bit weird, um, they would have an answer, right? Sometimes it, it has to do with, you know, how the toilet paper rolls or how they squeeze the tube of toothpaste or whatever. But, but, but kind of in a joking sense, there are those things that we want to hide. But, but on a serious sense, there are things that we also try to hide, that, 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 are, that are, they affect us more than we think. And, and, and it really would be better for us to find a friend or a person to connect with and, and to trust that we could share that with, that could, that could talk to us with, about with it and who could pray with us through it. Um, this is way past the, uh, the small talk for sure. Now, there's a fascinating story about Moses that Paul tells the church at Corinth. Um, Moses has just been up on Mount Sinai with God, and when he comes down, Paul says that his face literally glowed. It, 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 it shone bright. And uh, uh, I kind of see this at weddings. You know, have you ever looked at a bride and said, wow, she is just glowing today, right? Okay, I've never heard anybody say that about a groom, um, only a bride. But here's the thing. Moses' face literally glowed. It, 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 it radiated light. And uh, people were impressed with Moses. I mean, if, if you knew somebody whose face glowed, I mean, you would think something about that person, right? I mean, if they had spent time with God and they came down and their face glowed, it would be, hold this person up high. Okay? And, and, and Moses, Moses liked that people uh, were impressed with him. He liked hearing this about himself. But, but there was one day that that glow started to fade away. And, and he doesn't want people to see this. So what does he do? He covers his face. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Moses put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Now, we don't know how long he wore the veil or when he finally took it off. John Ortberg, uh, Pastor Ortberg, wrote this. Uh, he wrote that Moses' wife probably told him this. Hey, Moses, why don't you take off that stupid veil? You're not fooling anybody. Personally, I'm happy your face isn't glowing anymore. Because I couldn't sleep at night. It, it was like sleeping next to a firefly. Take off the veil, Moses. And we know that Moses did eventually take off the veil. And I can't help but wonder if there was sort of this, when everybody found out that his face wasn't glowing anymore, sort of the sigh of relief that everybody knew the truth, that his face was not glowing anymore. He had nothing to hide. You know, we all wear veils. 
um, this person wears a veil, they're, they're insecure, and so they hide behind a veil of humor. They just laugh off everything, and they're never serious about anything. And then, then there's this guy over here who's struggling financially, but he doesn't want anybody to know about that, so he goes and he buys himself a new car to hide the fact that he's mismanaged his money. Or there's this person over here who is an incredibly gifted musician, but she's never played any of her, her music in front of a group because, because she thinks that they'll think that she's showing off, so she uses that as an excuse to not get before people and share her musical talent and gift. And then there's this other person maybe who was sexually molested, never told anyone about it, never said anything to anyone, just sort of shrugs it off today as no big deal, but hasn't been able to develop a close friendship with anyone ever since. The veils need to come off. We need to get close. Let's not hide addictions or sexual issues or marriage struggles or dreams or passions. You know, Paul concludes the Moses story with a verse for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and he says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Since we have the promise of God's love and acceptance through what Jesus has done for us, we can live with unveiled faces. There's so much freedom being who we really are instead of trying to keep up fronts. When we experience God's amazing grace, we can learn to be real with each other, the good and the bad. And we're attracted to authenticity. And when anyone shares with us honest, deep hurts, it really does kind of draw us to this person. We admire it. We even applaud it. Um, And and, and I want you to write this statement down. You are only loved to the extent that you are truly known. You are only loved to the extent that you are truly known. You know, if people love a projection that we've put up there of ourselves, and we, we, we see them, they say things about that projection or that false front that we've put up, we really know deep down inside of us that it's not us that they love. It's this false front that we've put up that they love. And we sort of have this fear that if they really knew the real me, they might not like me anymore. So we need to take some risks and let people love and know the real us. There's a third move that that, that this... There is a third move that we need to make. And as long as we stay in our chairs, waiting for friends to come to us, waiting for people to serve us, waiting for the perfect friend to come along, waiting for friendship to fall in our laps. It's just not going to happen. Authentic friendships, you see, aren't just about us. Um, If we want to have friends, the best thing that we can do is not go find friends or, or go look for friends the best thing we can do to have friends is to go be a friend. It's not just what we get out of them, it's what we put into them. So I want to challenge all of us this morning to number three, make the first move. Make the first move. You know, on your your Connect card, under the, uh, the My Next Step Today is, it says, 
Um, I started a devotional Bible reading plan this week. It would be awesome if you did. If you did, mark that and, and put it in the offering plate. Put your name on it. Let us know that, that you have accepted that challenge and, and that you were doing that. Um, and then it says, I or we as a family will look for ways to make the first move. You know, sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then walk out the doors. And I think, it's, I, I think it becomes more a part of us if we actually check a box. We write it down. Uh, you know, maybe you have two bulletins between the two of you in your family and, and you're like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Mark one, put it in your Bible, take it home, put it on the refrigerator, mark the other, put it in the offering plate so that we can know that, that you are going to take and make the first move. Now, Jesus makes a statement to his small group, his disciples, during the most famous small group gathering in the Bible, the Last Supper. And in, in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus always makes the first move, doesn't he? You know, in response to, to the disciples' self-absorption of this moment, how does he respond? He responds by washing their feet. You know, in response to their sin, he washes their hearts with the very blood. He holds nothing back. Jesus makes the first move. He's never held anything back. 33 years earlier from this moment in time, He gave up His chair. He gave up His throne in heaven and He came down on earth to be one of us. Not some superstar, supernatural, superman body. No. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He got sweaty and smelly. He was just like us. He experienced everything that we do. He was real with us. He... He belly laughed and he wept. And at the very moment his friends all walked away from him, he made the ultimate move. Surrendering himself to a cross was crucified on our behalf. That final demonstration of his deep desire to befriend us on the cross, why did he do that? So that he could say this in John chapter 15, verse 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, I've had a lot of friends make the first move when it comes to their relationship with me, to be a friend to me. I've even had a friend wash my feet. But I can't recall one friend who ever died for me, except one. And that was Jesus. And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says, It's your move now. It's your move. Go and be a friend. Go and love someone. It won't always be easy. It won't always be rewarding even. It might take some time to make friends, but it only takes one move. To be a friend. So stay after. Hide behind a cup of coffee and get to know a couple of people. Make the decision to join a small group. Now we know we're not the only church in the county. I know that that's true. But there is a church for every body. And as a part of that church, every body. Um, we are to be unified and to love one another. 
We want this North Hills to be a church that loves God and loves people. Let's get closer, let's get real, and let's make the first move. And now Ty's going to come up here, the music team's going to come up here, and we're going to celebrate communion for the first time in the year 2015. Now, communion, and, and what, what we do here, it's significant. This isn't just, you know, just something that we do, like Adam said, you know, we pray by rote. It's, 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 it's not that. It can become that. Because it's, its importance can leak through the years. But, but communion is something that Jesus gave us himself. That we as a church are commissioned to uphold and protect and administer. And we are told that the purpose is to remember Christ. And here's the amazing thing. Think about this. Think about how long you've been coming to church. Think about, um, maybe, maybe it always hasn't been North Hills. Maybe it's been another church and maybe they took communion more often. We, we take communion once a month. For as long as you've been taking communion, I wonder how many times you've taken communion. I didn't do that math. I didn't do that multiplication this morning. But think about this. For over 2,000 years, this has been celebrated. And year after year after year, month after month after month, in your life and in mine, from now till the day Jesus comes or till the day we die, Jesus says we're to celebrate this. Why? To remember what Jesus did. Why? Because it leaks away if we don't. A couple weeks ago when we were sharing ideas about where we could worship someone at second service up here in the front row said the moon. Which is true. We, we concluded, right, that, that there isn't anywhere in the universe that we can't worship God. And sort of off the cuff, I mentioned that, you know, Somebody has, in fact, worshipped God on the moon. In fact, they took communion on the moon. Uh, and and I, in, in light of that, I just wanted to, to read this. Apollo 11 landed on the surface of the moon on Sunday, July 20th, 1969. I was one and a half. Most of us are familiar with astronaut Neil Armstrong's historic statement as he stepped onto the moon's surface, right? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But few know about the first meal eaten there. Buzz Aldrin, Neil's partner, had brought aboard the spacecraft a tiny communion kit provided by his church. Aldrin sent a radio broadcast to Earth asking listeners to contemplate the events of that day and to give thanks. And then in radio blackout for privacy, Aldrin read, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then silently he gave thanks and he partook of the bread and the juice. On the moon. So this morning as we celebrate communion, I want to remind us of the words of Jesus found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-26. For I received, Paul says, from the Lord what I passed, also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body. This represents my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and in the same way, after he took the bread, he took the cup. Saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the things we do can get boring, can't they? And you sort of be apathetic about them. And, and, and this is one thing that we do often that I do not want us want to become boring in our life. This is so significant. If you are a Christ follower here this morning, you are a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, one of the ways in which you can remember me is by partaking of the bread and the cup. So this morning, you don't have to be a member of North Hills to partake of communion. Just one who would proclaim Jesus as Lord, as Paul says. And so as we celebrate this, Ty's going to play there's going to be words and songs. and Let's take whatever time you need. It's the first time of the new year. Let's celebrate what Jesus did. The service would come forward. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for how much you know us and, and that we need this. We we often need to be reminded and we need to remember that you, your body was broken and your blood was shed. As we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup this morning, we, we worship you, we praise you, we celebrate you, we remember that incredible sacrifice that you made for us. In Christ's name, amen.